0: Okay, let's pray. So God, now as we open your word, we are in faith believing that what we're engaged in here is more than simply reading some old stories, but that we are taking a look at how you've worked with your people in ages past and how you desire to speak to us in this age in terms of how you desire us to uh, live in a right relationship with you. So we don't uh, take this lightly as your people gathered with your word open. We ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday in the calendar of the church's uh, year where um, we commemorate the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem and uh, that to, to prepare for that final week leading up to Good Friday where he died on the cross, and then of course Easter Sunday where he rose from the grave and as we read earlier from the prophet Zechariah, the, the prophecy that was fulfilled on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as a humble deliverer. And we're going to keep that thought in mind and hold it in tension throughout much of what we're going to look at this morning. We're not going to lose sight of it. We, we are. Gonna find our way back to Palm Sunday, but before we close with that humble deliverer riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, we're gonna push ourselves back in time to uh, the time of the judges of ancient Israel, as we've been looking through in uh, the the past couple weeks, and we're going to look at the really the antithesis of that humble deliverer, Jesus to look at that proud and boastful deliverer named Samson. And as we spend our time looking at uh, Samson contrasting what he did and how he behaved himself and what God did through him with how Jesus behaved and the example he set and how God worked through him, our outcome is to see that throughout scripture God weaves into the fabric of his work with his people the idea that it's through humility that true strength comes. So let's take a look here at Samson, this boastful deliverer, and see what we might be able to learn from his life. We're going to spend most of our time in Judges 16, Today, But we'll start with Judges 13, and we will uh, kind of take a look at the beginning, the background of uh, what was going on when Samson entered the picture. Judges 13, verse 1, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zora named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childish, childless. Not childish, childless. Her son was childish. we're going to see that. She was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, "You're barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth." To a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb and he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So here in this uh, um, chapter, several chapters in the Bible, but this chapter of uh, this judge of ancient Israel, we see the pattern that uh, has taken place several times up to this point coming to fruition again, is that the Israelites walked away from the Lord, their enemies came in and overtook them, and now... They cried out to God, and so God is raising up a deliverer and this time the deliverer is samson and the the enemies that overtook them at this uh, in this juncture are the Philistines, and these are the historic enemies of the Israelites. They show up time and time again and even after the actual Philistines, the people who were actually the Philistines who uh, entered into the area of Palestine and, and um, carved out this stronghold that consisted of five cities there on the coast of um, Palestine. Uh, long after the, the people um, died out, the actual Philistines died out, their cities lived on. And that region uh, became known as the historic enemies of the Israelites and in fact to this day the Gaza Strip, which is the um, homeland of the uh, Palestinians today, there's still tension clearly that we hear about between uh, uh, the um, Jews in Israel and the Palestinians in Gaza. So these Philistines, they were the enemies of the Israelites and they had taken over. And in fact, in Zechariah chapter 9 that we read earlier this morning, which predicted the Messiah coming in, riding in on a donkey, it even mentions the Philistine cities, which is decades after, uh, hundreds of years after this took place in Judges 13. There's always enemies that rise up against God's people. And the Philistines were typical of those enemies. God tells this couple who is childless uh, that they're about to have a son and he'll be a deliverer of the people. This is a very typical theme. We've seen it uh, when we went through uh, the earlier part of the Old Testament. We'll see it again. And certainly we see it in the coming of Jesus uh, in a different way with the virgin birth. God is raising up a deliverer. And they—they, they, uh, this couple has given this instruction about not giving the boy a haircut. So what is that all about? He's to um, be a Nazarite from his birth. Well, this harkens back to Numbers chapter 6. And we won't take time to read the whole chapter, but we'll just take a look at some excerpts there. The idea of a Nazarite vow was that the Israelites, if they wanted to engage in this special spiritual discipline and religious ritual where they wanted to bring something before the Lord and enter into a vow with the Lord that everybody could see how serious they were about bringing this thing before the Lord. They could enter into this Nazarite vow. And there are several different um, rituals and actions that they would do to include not going near uh, a, a dead body and, and not drinking any uh, fermented drink, not drinking any alcohol. Uh, but during the vow, they wouldn't shave their head. And then at the end of the vow, when it was com- completed, when the time that they had set aside was completed, they would shave their head and they would bring se- certain uh, sacrifices to the Lord at that time. So in number six, in verse five, it says during the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head down in verse 13. Now this is law of the Nazarite when the period of their dedication is over, so that it's for a period of time. Verse 18 says, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the Nazarite must shave off the hair that symbolizes their dedication. So included in all these rules, the the, the most Um, obvious was this business of not keeping your hair trimmed and then at the end, shaving it all off. And when you shaved it all off, that signified that the vow was complete. Well, special instructions to Manoah and his wife when they were given this child, Samson, who would be a deliverer, of Israel, a judge. The special instructions were he was to be a Nazarite for his whole life. There'd be no end. And that symbol of the special relationship that he had with the Lord would be to all the people a sign that God was upon him and he was dedicated to walk with the Lord. That was the idea. Well, it didn't work out that way as far as Samson was concerned. And so in uh, Judges 13 and 14 and 15, we see the the terrible way in which Samson, as he grew older and entered into his birthright, which was to be a deliverer of Israel, time and time and time again, he... he, uh, totally disregarded all of the instructions that God gave, not just for the Nazarite vow, but many of the uh, commands uh, just for uh, regular Israelites as well. He he, uh, was a man who didn't walk with the Lord at all. The one thing he did was he didn't cut his hair. The one thing he did is that he let his hair grow. And so of the among the rituals and laws that Samson uh decided not to follow. Uh, he he dishonored his parents. We saw several weeks ago in the Ten Commandments. That's that's one of the big ten, right? To honor your father and mother. He dishonored them uh, in terms of the, the first wife that he wanted to. Uh, his his parents disapproved, but he dishonored their wishes. He he certainly disrespected women throughout his life, and we see that time and time again. In fact, he called his first wife a heifer. I wouldn't you know encourage anyone to, to he, he was very disrespectful uh, in many ways. All right, he 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 was a loner. He lived in a cave. He only came into town when he wanted something, and as a deliverer who was uh, raised up by god to- del- to to bring god's uh people in victory over their enemies he he never led an army army he did everything by himself he was just uh I, I mean we could we could say it he was he was a jerk he was this boastful jerk in fact he was so eloquent in his boasting he actually wrote poetry about himself it, I, it, it just a uh, he's a jerk. And yet, Judges fifteen, verse twenty says, Samson led Israel for twenty years in the days of the Philistines. God used him despite his uh complete disregard for uh what God wanted him to do uh in terms of walking humbly before him and keeping the laws of the Lord. And so we want to understand something here before we look at Judges 16, which is uh, the story of Samson and Delilah, which is a very well-known story. And as we read that together, we want to have a, a few things in mind as we look at that uh, last vignette of what is really this despicable career of one of the judges of Israel. I want us to think about this, and that is it's important that we don't confuse God's blessing with God's pleasure. It's important for us to understand that God's blessing when good things happen to someone that does not necessarily mean that God is pleased with that person. Let's not confuse God's blessing with God's pleasure. Because God's pleasure was, is, is his desire to walk in communion with his people. That's what the law was designed for. That's what the instructions in the New Testament are designed for today, to, to allow us to walk in communion with God. That's what God wants. That's His desire. That's God's pleasure. God's blessing, good things that happen in life, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is in right relationship with God. Samson got things done for sure. He was a man of incredible ability, supernatural ability. He was an amazing warrior. He got things done, but he didn't walk with God. And when we find ourselves in a position where we want to bring something before the Lord and we want to ask the Lord to bless us, we need to understand that it's not so important to align ourselves with somebody or something or some, uh, some process that will just get things done. We want to align ourselves with that which pleases God, to walk with him in humility. Let's keep in mind as we read uh, Judges 16, not to confuse God's blessing with God's pleasure. So Judges 16, start with verse 4. says, sometime later, he, Samson, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh bow strings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bow strings that had not been dried. She tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bow strings as easily as a piece of string snaps When it comes close to a flame, so the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak as any other man. so Delilah took new ropes, tied him with them, then with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threats. Then Delilah said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you don't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I'd become weak as any other man. Stop right there and review. So is it unclear to anyone paying attention at all what this relationship is Samson has with Delilah? Tell me how you can be tied up. Oh, I can do this, he lies to her. He finds himself tied up, and then she asks him again, Time and time and time again. Is there any indication that this this is a good relationship? Of course not, right? It's clear what's going on. So Delilah is no great human being, but Samson is a jerk. We've established that, right? And so what is going on here? When he gets the fourth time, he tells her the truth. Now, why is that? Now, we can't enter in to the psychology of exactly what he was thinking. But let's suggest, perhaps, perhaps, that after decades of doing whatever he pleased, acting however he wanted, and disregarding God Completely that entire time, except for the one thing that he never shaved his head? Do we think that perhaps the, um, the, the psychology of Samson is now uh, to the point where he thinks, I don't need God at all. Why not? Why not? Why not just tell her? She's nagging me to death. Why not just disregard God completely? He tells her the truth about the Nazarite vow. Now, thinking back, what did we learn in Numbers chapter 6? What does the shaving of the head signify? It means the vow is over, right? Samson doesn't care because he doesn't think he needs God. Now, let's be real clear that clearly this is the last straw in the story, and God leaves him at this time. But it isn't about the hair. It's not the haircut. The haircut doesn't matter. It's what it signifies. It signifies that finally he's saying completely, he's severing ties with the severing of his seven locks of hair. He's severing ties completely with God, and it's the last straw that God then gives him his desire, and God removes himself from Samson's presence. So let's continue and see how this turns out. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep in her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. There is nothing admirable about Samson. There is um, Samson throughout um, the the history of God's people, uh, certainly throughout church history. Samson is known as one of the judges uh, because it's, Such a crazy story, right? Uh, But let's be clear. There is nothing admirable about Samson. But he is known because there's so much about him that tends to appeal to certain parts of our nature, certainly some of us. He is this mighty warrior. He's an incredible warrior. He's a great athlete does amazing things, and he knows he's great because he boasts about it eloquently and writes poems about himself. However, for all his success, let's not confuse God's blessing with God's pleasure. There's nothing admirable about Samson at all. Because throughout Scripture, God tells us what his desire for his people is. And even though God can bless his people through imperfect and, and in fact, completely ungodly jerks, God can use anyone. God does not desire to to, um, use people who disregard him. God desires to have his people walk with him and bless them all in the pro process. In Proverbs 13, verse 1, we read this. It says, A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. So that word mocker in, in Hebrew has the idea of of proud boasting. Even though the word isn't used in judges and relation to Samson. Samson does exactly that. He's a, he's a boaster, he's proud, and to the point where he thinks that it's all about him and that God uh, is not even needed in his life. And One of the stories about Samson is that uh, he, he wanted to marry a Philistine girl. His father didn't, but he disregarded his father's instructions. I mean, this is a picture of Samson doing exactly what God says not to do. A wise son heeds his father's instructions. Samson wasn't a wise son, but a proud mocker does not respond to rebukes. Proverbs 3, verse 34 says, He that is God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor. Of the humble and oppressed, and so here we see how God looks at things. The um, tendency can be that when when somebody does great things, if it's a great athlete or or, or somebody uh, uh, that is, is famous, uh, uh, a um, an actor or, or somebody that has Uh, great acumen in the business world, whatever, somebody that, a millionaire, billionaire, somebody that accomplishes so-called great things. When they boast about it, there is a certain uh, appeal that they gain from many people. Our eyes are drawn to that person. Whether we like them or not, there is a grudging respect because they've accomplished great things. Very often that's the case. However, in God's eyes, when we have the uh, the um, idea that the great things that might happen in our lives uh, are something that we can boast about, God sees the big picture and realizes that apart from Him we can do nothing. God looks not for the proud boasters, but for the humble, for those that uh, recognize their position before God. This word humble in Proverbs 3, 34, it also has the idea of poor and needy. Um, and the word oppressed is uh, there in conjunction with it. See, all of us, whether we feel like we've done pretty well or, or, or not, all of us, before God are humble. And any of us on any given day are capable of anything. And anything could happen to any of us where we can be taken from a position of relative security to one of humility and oppression. And God looks down. And he sees us all as children on a level playing field. And so he desires for us, rather than to think too much of ourselves. To, to realize in relation to God, we are but humble creatures, and what we need to do is walk in humility with our God. in James chapter four, verse 10, after uh, just a few verses earlier, after quoting Proverbs 3:34, showing that this theme runs throughout Scripture in James 4:10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We know this to be the case, don't we? That uh, God wants us to humbly walk before him. Micah 6, 8 is another verse we could throw in there It's throughout scripture. God wants us to humbly walk with him. When something's really important to us, we sometimes forget that um, God is the one that humbly wants us to walk with him? Do we forget that and sometimes want to go at it on our own and decide that we don't need God? Samson was there, and there's nothing admirable about what Samson did at all. God wants us to be humble followers. Let's look at the rest of the story. Judges 16. Verse 23, it says, The rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, They shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison. He performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching samson perform then samson prayed to the lord sovereign lord remember me please god strengthen me just one more and let me with one blow get revenge on the philistines for my two eyes and samson reached the toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. And his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Ashtayol, In the tomb of Manoah, his father, he had led Israel 20 years. And there is the tragic end of Samson. We might be tempted to think that in his humility and his prayer to the Lord, that there is at least something admirable there. And of course, it is admirable when we are at rock bottom, and he was certainly there, that we call out to the Lord, and the Lord is there to answer uh, us in our, our time of adversity, even if we've disregarded God all the way to the bottom. But notice what Samson says uh, there in verse 28 when he cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, help me get revenge. Even in his prayer to the Lord, he's doing it with these horrible models. So, again, let's remember to not confuse God's blessing with God's pleasure. God answered Samson's prayer, certainly. And God used him to, uh, to strike against the enemies of God's people. But God was not pleased with Samson. He wasn't out to punish him. He wasn't out to destroy him. He, he wanted Samson to walk with him. He wanted Samson to be this uh, uh, great example of what it meant to dedicate one's life completely to the Lord. And Samson was having none of it. He acted as though he didn't need God. But even then, in his admission at the end of his life that he needed God, he, he called out to him for wrong motives. Let me have re- revenge for my two eyes that the Philistines have taken to me. He still wasn't humble. He had been brought low, and so he was humbled by the Philistines, but his heart wasn't humble. And yeah, his hair grew back. There's that detail in there. But it's not about the hair. It's about the heart. Let's not confuse God's blessing with God's pleasure. What pleases God? God is pleased with our humility. And so we bring it back and end by contrasting this boastful, proud Deliverer Samson with the humble Deliverer Jesus. In Matthew 21, verse 5, which is quoting Zechariah 9:9. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt the full of a donkey. That word gentle, it's humble. Jesus on Palm Sunday riding into Jerusalem, knowing what was before him. Not that he was going to destroy the enemies of God's people by... Uh, in this incredible war and killing them all, but no, taking the punishment for their sin upon himself and dying on the cross. He is the humble deliverer, and we know that the Father was pleased with His Son. And in Matthew five, five, which is quoting Psalm thirty-seven eleven and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said. Blessed are the meek, why for they will inherit the earth again, the word meek is the idea of humble. Blessed are the humble, for they'll gain everything in God's kingdom. The humble will inherit the earth, and again it's a quote from a passage in the old testament psalm thirty seven eleven throughout all of scripture, God is looking for his people, to humbly walk with him. That's what pleases God. Oh, he blesses us and he gives us all kinds of good things, but let's not mistake his blessing with his pleasure. His pleasure is that we humbly walk with him. And in Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me from gentle and humble In heart. You'll find rest for your souls." So there's a reason that Samson, among many of the Old Testament figures, is well-known, because it's kind of an interesting story, right? This mighty warrior doesn't even need weapons. He'll grab this bone that's laying there, uh, which he's not supposed to touch as a Nazarite, by the way. He'll grab this bone, and he'll kill people, Uh, uh, because he's so amazing. And then in the end of his life, he he dies uh, heroically by bringing down the temple upon himself. Let's not lose sight of the fact that that is not the hero that God puts forward for us to follow. The hero that God puts forth for us to follow is Jesus, humble, riding on a donkey, the servant leader, if we want to have God's pleasure and inherit God's kingdom, then let's remember this. God desires us to be humble and in humility is strength. It's the mark of somebody that's truly walking with God. Let's pray together. Close our time. So God, we need to be reminded of our relationship to you because it's easy for us to forget. Easy for us to